Chapter Eight of Blake of the Rattlesnake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Blake of the Rattlesnake by Frederick T. Jane. Chapter Eight England's Aegispotomy. Some little time passed, and we sped along over those deserted waters, meeting no British cruisers, as we had hoped to do, but since, when last heard of, some four days before our departure, the whole of the British Baltic fleet were skulking about in the Abo archipelago, this was not entirely a matter to be wondered at. We were steaming along one day off Danzig, spread out over the water, the better to sight our friends, when we met a British catcher hotly pursued by Russian cruisers. The Edgar and Fox went to her assistance, whereupon the Russians retired. But more of their ships, coming up shortly afterwards, we all had to run for it, and we, getting separated from them, never saw either our cruisers or colliers again. For ourselves, we managed to shake off our pursuers, and to edge round in the direction of the Finnish coast, where we expected to find our own ships. Find them we eventually did, for the next day we came upon a regular forest of ships' masts, standing above the sea where it was shallow along by the islands, and this was the British fleet. While we steamed cautiously among the sunken vessels, trying to recognize them by their rig, we were hailed from a little promontory that jutted seawards, and turning our glasses in that direction, noted some ragged-looking men in naval uniform chased by a mixed mob of Russian soldiers and peasantry. We lowered a boat and manned our guns, in the hope that we might learn something from the fugitives if we succeeded in rescuing them. The men, plunging into the water, swam to our boat under a heavy fire from the soldiers on shore, until we let into the pursuers with our QF guns, which quickly dispersed them. Hitherto we had imagined the runaways to be Russian deserters, but when the boat returned she had in her seven British sailors belonging to the How, and from them we gathered the first news of the disaster of Abo, and the gruesome details of England's Aegispotomy. They told us how day after day the ships had lain concealed amongst the islands, scarce having coal enough left to keep the cruisers going to deceive the enemy as to the fleet's whereabouts and how, a few days before, the cruisers had brought the intelligence that the celebrated Rurik had sighted our battleships, and easily shown her heels to our swiftest vessels when they sought to capture her, ere she should convey the news of the British Admiral's position to the fleet that sought for him. Then came more of our cruisers with the news that the enemy were coming in overwhelming force— and all our ships got up steam as well as they could with the scrapings of the bunkers, woodwork, boats, and cabin furniture. Guns had been taken ashore, and the front of the position mined, and here, in a landlocked bay, the British waited for their doom. "'When the Russians first came up, sir,' said one of the men, a leading seaman, narrating his version of the fight to Blake, "'they held off for a while on the horizon,' Perhaps they wasn't quite certain of our strength. Maybe, too, they funked it a bit, thinking as how they'd gone and caught a tartar. The delay was no manner of use to us, 
as we was fast burning what fuel we had, would we'd cut down ashore, or chairs and tables and cabin fixins. I was sent into the captain's cabin just before the action, with a party to collect fuel, and we cleared out everything that would burn. We tore down all the wood panels, we carried off even books, bedding, clothes, and pictures. Everything that would burn was sent down to the stokehole. It burnt, lor, how quick it went! And all this time, the Russians was a-hanging about in the offing, laughing at us like. The admiral made a signal. It were the last he ever made. And it read, England expects that every man will die like a true Briton. No surrender! We cheered and cheered again, and then out went our torpedo-boats to try and move the Russians. But they never reached them, not they. Every blessed boat was sunk before they got within four cables of them, and then at last the Russians came at us. In front of their fleet was a lot of low freeboard turret-ships, gunboats, and packets of that sort. Astern of these came big ships and a regular cloud of torpedo-boats. The sea was black with them black as the ace of spades. The very first shell what hit us, it must have been a mighty big one, pretty well did for the how. Hitting us square in the unprotected battery, it bust again the after funnel, killing and wounding every one at the six-inch guns. A lot of deck above was torn away, and half the QF guns on that deck were silenced too. The wounded was all poisoned by the fumes of the explosive, and no one could even enter the battery for some while to come. Then, a few minutes later, the after-barbette guns jammed, and we had nothing but the two big guns forward left to fight with. Presently, another shell burst under the four-barbette. The turntable gave way, and the big guns, fallen, crashed right down through the armored deck and through the ship's bottom, so that she began to sink rapidly by the head. We were in shallow water, but the captain steamed yet nearer inshore, and there's the old anyhow settled down, with her upper work still showing, and making such practice as she could with her hotchkisses. This was in the very beginning of the fight, sir, and while the enemy was a-coming up to close quarters. Soon they was close, and blowing us all to pieces bit by bit with their bigger quick-fire guns. Our mast came down with a crash, and in a very little while not forty of us was left on our legs. I was trying to do something with one of the six-pounders when I sees the paymaster come up. Men, says he, I'm the only orsifer left. Get out a boat and abandon ship. We'll see you damned first, I called out, unthinking like. What about the admiral's signal? For we was all mad with him, a civilian orsifer, "'wantin' us to cut and run. "'What about it?' says he, smiling. "'Why, can't we do more good in another ship? "'Come on, Sharp!' "'I begs his parting then, thinking, all same that, "'as we'd all got to be killed, "'I'd be lucky to get no court-martial, or ten A at least. "'There were a boat towing alongside under the ship's lee, "'the only one we hadn't burnt, "'cause she'd been fetching wood up to the time the battle begun.' and into this we all tumbles, that is, all what were left of us by then, some five-and-twenty-odd. Quite near us was the Magnificat, the new flagship, making fine fightin' of it, and we rode over to her and was took on board. 
They cheered us like blazes for coming, and we was soon at it again as hard as ever. Luckily the Magnificat had some coal still left, and she was soon steaming fast at the Russians, and I now seed why they put their warships forward. They had just gone to be blown up by our mines, and now their best ships come up closer. They rammed our side one after t other. Our fellows hadn't steam enough to get out of the way. And them what didn't get rammed ran ashore and was finished off that way. Some of our ships torpedoed the Russians, and some got torpedoed themselves. But mostly it was ram and gun what did it. And come some half an hour later, the Magnificat were the only ship left afloat and fighting. You see, sir, we'd a good nine inches of armor over most of our guns, and that kept off a power of a lot of shells, and what with that, and our still having a little coal, we was able to fight like ten ships. It weren't no matter of good, though, for all that. The armor couldn't stand battering forever. The coal was well nigh done, and our speed got less and less, while we fired so fast that ammunition soon began to run short, too. You may wonder as how the admiral didn't try to run for it at the last, but he hadn't the coal, and so he just kept on trying to do as much harm to the enemy as he could before we went under. Well, it weren't for long, sir. We'd nothing left to fire at their torpedo boats with, and a couple of the beggars sneaked up and fired all their torpedoes into us. The Magnificat went down with a regular rush in eight fathoms, her bilers bustin' as she did so, and those of us what was lucky swam ashore. We got into a little cave, and watched the Russians sending boats to haul down the white ensigns what still flew from the British mastheads, and having done this, all their ironclads what was left formed up into line abreast, facing the wrecks of our ships, and fired a salute. Then they all dipped their ensigns and stood out to sea. "'Mortuis salutio,' said Blake gravely, as the man finished his tale. "'Well,' he added, after a lengthy pause, "'are you the only survivors?' "'I can't say, sir. Plenty of us got ashore, but the islands was full of soldiers who'd been landed some time before to capture our shore-guns, and they took scores of men prisoners as they swam to land. We durstn't venture out of the cave till nightfall.' And then, nigh dead from cold and hunger, we hunted along the beach for limpets and things to eat. There were a little stream what trickled down by the cave, so we had plenty of water, and we hung about there, a dozen or more of us, till today, when one of our A.B.s was fool enough to yell to a girl who was picking up seaweed on the beach. She ran off like a mad thing, so I says, "'Clear out while we can!' and we all got out over the cliff and into some long grass on top. Then we sighted your ship, sir, and we was a-waving to you when up come the soldiers, and we cut and run for it till you come to the rescue, for which we thanks you kindly, sir. We hung about the coast looking for further survivors, but we found none, and several Russian warships appearing on the horizon, we made off in another direction at full speed. "'We must find our colliers,' said Blake, after hearing the engineer's report, "'for we haven't enough coal to take us back under easy steam, let alone the risk of capture by so doing. 
my great grief is that the coal-workers of england don't live by the seashore for by heaven if they did i'd make for the place and shell it till there wasn't a man left alive or a stone remained standing it is this coal strike that has ruined england all we can do now is to try and cripple the enemy in small ways the day for another trafalgar is past for ever yes it was past passed even more certainly than we then dreamed of for that very night it came about that england no longer possessed a fleet a foggy afternoon with our ironclads blowing their sirens a fleet of french torpedo-boats guided and attracted by the sound were the two leading points of that practically unpreventable catastrophe that paralyzed the empire and scattered panic broadcast through the land the story of this week of disaster is too well known to need repetition in these pages history is full of it and full too of our last despairing cry to germany on whose alliance the nation had reckoned so vainly end of chapter